Boker Tov, and now we continue on with our discussion of uh, the Mishnah at the beginning of the third parak. At the end of the first half of the Mishnah, we are now on Daf Yod Zayin Bet. At the end of the uh, first half of the Mishnah that listed all of the exceptions to the rule about shaving and Cholamoid, we mentioned Vahnazir Vahmetzoramitum Atola Taharato. So a, uh, this is, of course, unique to shaving and doesn't uh, apply to, uh, to laundry. A Nazir who finishes his Nazirut and a Mitzorah who becomes pure during Cholamoid may uh, shave uh, as part of the process. So, yeah, is this talking only about a case where they did not have any time Erev Yom Tov to shave? Or are our exceptions include, and this is something we mentioned a few days ago when studying the Mishnah, does it include even a case where they did have some opportunity? For instance, if somebody arrived on a trip uh, in the afternoon of Erev Yom Tov, so technically they had time to shave, but of course they had many other things to do, or does it only have to be a situation where they arrived at the very last minute or on Yom Tov itself? So we have a Brita that says that the entire list of exceptions is only if they did not have an opportunity. But if they did have an opportunity and they didn't take advantage of it, they're not allowed to shave on Cholamoid like everyone else. However, our two, Nazir and Mitzorah, even if they did have an opportunity, uh, meaning the Nazir's 30th day ended up on Erev Yom Tov, nonetheless, they're allowed to shave on Cholamoid, because we do not want them to delay bringing their Korban for too long. And so this way, they will shave and immediately bring the Korban and then move on. Tana. Now we have a Brita that adds in two other uh, members to our list that were not in our Mishnah. And that is HaKohen VeHaAvel Mutarim Megiluach. Somebody who is a Kohen, and we'll see in a minute what the circumstance is, but it's remember that a Kohen is not allowed to uh, to, to shave uh, during his Mishmeret, during his week. And so it's going to relate to that. And an Avel, of course, is not allowed to shave. So the notion is that an Avel who ends his Avelut running right into the Yom Tov can shave on Cholamoid. We'll see how this plays out. Hi Avel, and of course it's going to be a situation where the Breita disagrees with the Mishnah. We have to find the point of disagreement. Hi Avel Echidami. What's the case of the Avel? If you think it's an Avel who finished his seven days of, of the first stage of mourning. Uh, a day before Erev HaRegel, so the eighth day is Erev HaRegel, a Ba'ilei L'Giluch Erev HaRegel, then he should have shaved, because after all, he's done with Shiva, now he should have shaved on the eighth day, which is Erev Yom Tov, and he didn't take advantage of it, so why would he be allowed to shave on Cholam Oit? Ela Shechal Shmini Shabbat Erev HaRegel. It must be that Yom Tov started on a Sunday, and his eighth day ended up on Shabbat, Right? And now we're going to see a, a discussion that we're going to get to later on in the parak about the nature of the last day. Uh, he still should have shaved on Friday. Why? We rule like Abashol, who says, that on the last day of any period of Avelut, whether it's Shiva or Shloshim, we'll see if it applies to both Shiva or Shloshim, Abashol says that any part of the day is considered the full day. So, for in our case, at the, uh, on the seventh day, even the uh, first hour of the seventh day, that's already sufficient, and he can already shave. 
ומודים חכמים אבא שאול כשחל שמיר שלו להיות בשבת ערב הרגל, אבל חכמים אקספט אבא שאול's position, חכמים who generally say you need the full day, to complete the full day, agree that if ערב הרגל is on שבת, meaning יונטף starts on Sunday, and the eighth day falls out on Shabbat, then, uh, that nonetheless he can shave during the day of the seventh day, which is Friday. So therefore, who would then argue that an Avel can, uh, did not have the opportunity beforehand? Here's what happened. He buried somebody on a Sunday, and Yantav starts the next Sunday, which means that his seventh day is on Shabbat. Which means he could not shave on Friday because it was not the he had not finished seven days. Yontif didn't start yet, so so there's a machloket where our Tana holds that such a person may shave on Cholamoid, and the Mishnah says that not. So what's the machloket? Tana brasa v'lak abashol. Our Tana, the Tana of the Bright, uh, holds like abashol. What does abashol say? It's the Yom Kehulo, which means since the since the seventh day was on Shabbat. And the minute that the sun came up on Shabbat, there was an hour, technically he was already out of Avilut. But of course, he can't shave on Shabbat, so he's a classic case of Onus. Abashol says that the seventh day counts already for the completion of the seventh day and already the first day of the next period of Shloshim. And since the seventh day turned out to be Shabbat and he couldn't shave that day, he's Nenas. Tana didan sabah like Rabbanan, and our Tana holds like Rabbanan, who disagree with our Shol and say, we do not accept Miktzat Yom Kechulo, and we don't mean Miktzat Yom Kechulo, v'akati lo shalom avute yeshiva, which means that when the Regal started, when meaning on Shabbat, when Erev HaRegel, he had not yet completed his seven days of Avilut. And that being the case, it's not that he was Ne'anas before the Regal and couldn't shave, but rather that he was not somebody who was allowed to shave at all. As opposed to somebody who's uh, on a trip or something like that. Good. Now, that's the case of the Ovel. That's why our Mishnah doesn't list it, and that's why the Breiter does. Now, hi, Koin Echadami. Well, the second item, the second person listed in the Breiter was a coin. How could the, what's the case of the coin? His Mishmeret, his week of Avodah, ended up on Erev Yontif. Then that means that on that day, the Erev Yontif, which is no longer his Mishmeret, he's allowed to shave, he should have shaved. Didn't shave, he lost his chance. So let's look at Aha, must be a case where his Mishmeret ended up on Yontif. So Tari Nansavar, our Tana holds, came on Ditnan Mishloshe Prakim Mishanah, you call Mishmeret Shavod, Peimu Regalim Chiluk Lechem Apanim. There are three times a year that all Mishmeret are equal, meaning any Mishmeret. Whether you've ended, any coin can really come to Shalim and participate fully, um, and that is, and they can full, participate fully in the Emurim and bring the stuff up to the Mizbeach and in eating the And therefore, it's a case as if his Mishmeret didn't yet finish, which means it's not that he was Ne'anas and couldn't shave. He was really wasn't allowed to shave. The Tana Barasa Rafagam the Shaykh Bahanach Mishmerot, even though he has a chalik there, Mishmarte Mihashli Malay. But his Mishmerot is done, and therefore uh, he really could have shaved on Erev He really could have shaved when the Regal started, but he was Nenas because you're not allowed to shave on Yantif, and therefore we only, he's allowed to do on Cholamoy. Good. Tana Rabbanah. This is a statement we saw at the beginning of the parak. We still had Brighta said that everyone who's, who is allowed to shave, Cholamoid is also allowed to shave during their Avelut. 
Asurim, we have a right that says the exact opposite, that just because you're allowed to shave in Cholomoy does not mean you're allowed to shave as an Avel. So let's see what the circumstance is. Meaning, somebody just got off of a long trip and finds out that he's an Avel, nonetheless he's allowed to shave, or somebody got out of prison, etc. Now, So when do we say that you're allowed to, in when you have the circumstances of our Mishnah, getting off a long, from a long trip or out of prison? That you're, and, and in that case, you then are, are met by avilut, you're still allowed to shave, that's when you have a double or triple avilut, one after another. Lo alayhi, somebody dies, and then five days later, another relative dies. Alright, and something that we saw earlier on. If the guy has a string of avilut, then you don't need the excuses of our Mishnah of a trip or a prison. Anybody who has a series of avilut, one after the other, is allowed to shave. The Tanya of a bright that says, If your hair got too long, you're allowed to cut it. And you're allowed to wash your clothes. So you see that if somebody has a, a, a series of aviluyot, even without having been in prison or been on trip or whatever it may be, is still allowed or been, been a menude or, or, or a, a, had a neder, that got lifted during Cholamoid, he's still allowed to, to shave and to, to his laundry. Ah, but it's not exactly the same. Rav Chista read the statement very carefully and said, you're allowed to use a blade, but not scissors. Aha. But you're allowed to use water, you're not allowed to use any sort of detergent. So in other words, in a normal case of Tkafu Avilav, when you have one Avilut after another, and it's now been a few weeks and you haven't been able to shave or anything, so you're allowed to shave in a rudimentary fashion and wash your clothes in a rudimentary fashion. When you throw into the mix the ones mentioned in our Mishnah of prison or trip, etc., then you're allowed to shave and to launder in a normal fashion. And parenthetically, Rav Chista said, you see from here that an Avel is not allowed to do laundry. Because that's what we said, that that Avelav, uh, he can cut his hair and he can wash his clothes in this rudimentary fashion if he has several Avelio together. There's another proof in the discussion we saw a couple of days ago that an Avel is not allowed to do laundry. Good. Good. And he was of the opinion that if you, that's just as you're not allowed to cut your hair, you're also not allowed to cut your nails on Cholamoid. Rabbi Matir, Rabbi Yossi doesn't equate the two, and he says they're mutar. And similarly, the same machlokan applies, just like we said, you're not allowed to shave during Avilut. Similarly, you're not allowed to cut your fingernails during Avilut. Again, same machlokan. Amar Ula. So now Ula says, Halocha Kirby Yehuda Ba'evel. It was the Wermachmer in Avelut. Valocha Kirby Yossi Ba'moed. It's kind of an interesting position. And Achola Moed, where the Isur may be Da'oraita, we're lenient and allow you to cut your fingernails. But during Avelut, where it's certainly Dramanan, we rule like Rabbi Yehuda, Lechumra. Uh, the position may be, though, that uh, after all, in Achola Moed, you have to look nice. If it looks nice for the regal, as opposed to Avilut, where there is no such consideration. Shmuel Amar, this is the definitive word, we pass on the in both cases, because that the rule always follows that there's a, Shmuel's very important rule about Avilut, which we're going to see several times through the rest of the parak, 
is that whenever there is a dispute and there's a lenient and a stringent position in Avelut, we always rule like the lenient position. That's in Avelut, not in things that may be associated with Avelut, such as Kriya, as we'll see later on. Now we hear a story, and it's quite a frightening story. Pinchas Achua Demar Shmuel. Pinchas was Shmuel's brother. Itra Milta. He was an Avel. Something happened to him. He became an Avel. Son died, whatever. It can't be that his father died. It can't be that his uh, brother died, because then Shmuel would also be an Avel. Al Shmuel and Mishal Tamimine. So Shmuel went to comfort him. Chazan of the Tufer to have an He saw that uh, his brother's fingernails were long. So he said to his brother, why didn't you tell you cut your fingernails? And Shmuel had ruled like Rabiosi, and therefore you can cut your fingernails as an Avel. So he said, why didn't you cut your fingernails? And so Pinchas turned to his brother, Shmuel, and said, if you were the Avel, you wouldn't be so, so light about it. In other words, he was saying, yeah, maybe technically I'm allowed to cut my nails, but I feel this sadness so strongly that I'm not willing to cut my nails. And you know what? If you were the Avel, you wouldn't feel, you wouldn't be so quick to say that. So, It's like a, like a Freudian slip, a statement that came out, right? And uh, as if he said, if you were the Avel, and what happened as a result? And the next thing you knew, Shmuel was an Avel. Because that's what his brother said. Right, if you were an Avel, you wouldn't be so quick. Oh, he became an Avel. So now his brother, who had been the Avel, came to visit Shmuel, who was now an Avel. So you know what Shmuel did? Just to show him that even though he was the Avel now, he nonetheless held his position, he cut off his own fingernails and he threw them right in the face of his brother. And then he said to him, castigating him, Don't you know know how to keep your mouth shut? In other words, don't you understand that there's a Brit, a covenant, that when you say something, you may be affecting something in the world? How do we know this principle? Shemar, when Avraham goes up to the Akedah with Yitzchak, Avraham supposedly knows that he's going to be coming down alone. And yet he's keeping that from the other boys. What does he say to them? You stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy, Yitzchak, will go up to there. And we will prostrate ourselves and we will come back. Right? So Avraham, instead of saying, I will come back, said, we will come back. And guess what? They both were able to come back. So you see, when you say something, you may affect, you change, you change things in the world. So, 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 so that was what the Shmuel was trying to make the point to his brother. You should be more careful the way you speak. Shouldn't have turned around and said to me, if you were an Avel, because the next thing that happened was I became an Avel. So our assumption about this entire discussion of fingernails was that it only fingernails and not toenails. Because fingernails are something that people, everybody sees, and you have to look nice. Finger and toenails, and they could grow a little long. I have a tradition, I heard it directly from Shmuel. Both finger and toenails can be cut on Cholamoid and as an Avel. But to use a very special kind of a, um, of a, to- of a nail cutter, that you're not allowed to use. Rather, uh, regular scissors or something else, but not the very special cleat for that. She tells us a story. I was sitting in front of Rabbi Yochanan on Cholamoid in the base Medrash. And what he did is he tore his own, his fingernails were very long, he tore them with his teeth, and he threw them right in, right in the, the base Medrash. So we can learn three things from this. 
The first thing is, you see, you're allowed to cut your fingernails on Cholamoid. Rabbi Yochanan did it. The second thing is, this is not considered to be a disgusting thing. In other words, it's not considered to be socially unacceptable. And we see something else, that you're allowed to throw your fingernails on the ground. Now, this will be challenged. There's three categories of how people deal with Tzipornayim, with fingernails. Hakovran, Tzadik, somebody who buries them, is a Tzadik. Sorfan, Chassid, somebody who burns them, is a Chassid, even more righteous. What's the reason? Because evidently, they understood that there was some demonic possession or some mystical negative attributes and negative energy that came from your torn-off fingernails. And so a righteous person didn't want anyone to get hurt by it so that he would dispose of it. Zorkan Rasha, somebody who throws them uh, neglectfully on the ground, is a Rasha. So how could Rabbi Yochanan do this? So Tamimai, so what's the answer? The reason is, the reason that it's a concern is, Shema Tavor The concern was that a pregnant woman will walk over these fingernails and it will cause her to miscarry. That's what they believed. And therefore, since the woman wouldn't, there were no women in the Beit Midrash, Rabbi Yochanan had no concern with throwing the fingernails. In other words, he understood the issue of throwing the fingernails is uh, because of a pregnant woman. There are no pregnant women here, so I'll throw the fingernails. Good. But wait a second, they're going to sweep them out onto the street. The answer is, and this is a world that we don't have any access to, a world of a certain level of mysticism, is once they've been moved from the first place that they fell, then they don't have any more power, any more demonic power. So only where the fingernails first fell is the problem. So therefore, if you're in a place where women are regularly walking, or a woman may walk when she's pregnant, you have to be careful not to cut them and throw them on the ground. But if, on the other hand, uh, you're in a place where women don't come, like in the Beit Midrash, at least in those days, then it was not a problem. There was a pair of students came from Hamatan, Mazutra Matni Razutra taught it as a uh, as a brighter, not a statement of Rav. Same story. They came and asked him, Are you allowed to cut your fingernails? Uh, and they were asking here about Avelut. Right? They were asking whether or not um, they could cut their fingernails um, as uh, as Avelim. Alright? And uh, actually, what they they were asking him was also whether that right. As I they allowed to cut the fingernails. Um, and he said, Had they gone a little further and said, "Could we cut our mustache, trim our mustache?" He told them he would have been matter also. Shmuel's version of the story is that they went further and asked him. Shkui still had a mustache and he allowed it. Ravito Safra Mishmeidra Papa. Vito Safra, some of you don't hear him too much. So Safa Mizavit Lazavit. That means from one corner of the mouth to the other. I'm Raviyami with Safa Malkevet. But that's only if it's a mustache that gets in the way of eating. Nachmar Yitzchak, the Divi Safa Malkevet Damili. The Divi Kasafa Malkevet Damili. My mustache is always a Safa Malkevet. It's always getting in the way. And therefore, it's mutter to cut for even as an papa. So now that we mention Avito Safra, we'll mention another tradition in his name. The Paro of Moshe's time. Uh, who, uh, who am I? He was only one am I tall. His beard was an am long. 
Ufamashtako Amavazaret. Right? And his um organ was even a little longer than that. And there's the Pasuk from uh, from Daniel. He's going to raise very low people above them. In other words, uh, now Misra was subjugated to a very low person. Another statement, the Paro was a magician. Magushi is related to the word Magus, which from where magic comes from. It's a Persian word, but it means uh, a magician. When Moshe was told to go tell Pharaoh and warn him about the plagues, um, he was told to go greet him in the morning at the water. So one of the explanations of that, take a look at the Rishonim there, in Parag Zion and Sefer Shemot, you'll see that there's a range of approaches to understanding it. One of the approaches taken, which Rashi quotes, is that Paro tried to present himself as being some sort of a demigod and never went to the bathroom. So he'd sneak out to the water early in the morning to take care of his needs, and that's where Moshe would find him, thus embarrassing him even even further. Another explanation of this, which is not the way that Rashi goes in the Chumash, is that Paro would go out to the water to do various forms of witchcraft. Right? The second half of our Mishnah, and we're going to see the discussion on this is, as you can see, very brief. The following are allowed to do laundry on Cholamoid. We've already seen this. Somebody who only has one garment. You're allowed to do laundry. Rabbi Yirmiya challenged it. We have a Mishnah that lists a bunch of people and doesn't list among them somebody who has one garment. It's only these people and not somebody who has only one garment. So Yaakov, Rabbi Yirmiya. So Rabbi Yaakov defended the position as follows. I'll explain it to you. Even if the person has two or more garments and they got dirty, then only with these exceptions is he allowed to wash them in these uh, strange these uh, circumstances. Um, and and what we're saying is, but if you have only one garment, then under all circumstances, it doesn't matter if you're in captivity, it doesn't matter if you had a chance before you have to wash it. If you have only one, you can wash it. So so he made the following observation. Linen clothes are allowed to be washed. So right, we have a list of particular items that are allowed to be washed in the Mishnah, and it doesn't list all linen clothes. It lists certain kinds of towels. So says a similar answer to what Yaakov gave just before, is that our Mishnah is referring to any sort of fabric. Uh, if it's used as a towel or a hand towel, etc. But uh, any any linen clothes can be can be rewashed. I myself saw in Tiberia at the at the sea. Right? I saw that they were taking out baskets of clay pishtan to wash them on cholamoid. So what does that prove? Just the fact that you saw people uh, going down to the Kinneret, to wash their linen clothes on Cholamoid, that doesn't mean the Chachamim approved of it. Maybe they were going against the Chachamim, maybe they were doing it in spite of the Chachamim, and maybe it, it was wrong. So you don't, and that doesn't prove that the statement that the Klei Pishtan are Mutar is really accepted. Good. The next Mishnah, uh, which we're going to, uh, which is a long list, and there's only one item on the list that we're going to discuss at all. Ve'ilu Kodvin Bamoid. This is Mishnah Gimel, and there's a prohibition against uh, professional writing on Cholamoid. Good. 
However, there are exceptions. Who are they? Kiddushin to write a star erusin, a star of Kiddushin, between a man and a woman, betrothal. Begitin, get shovarin, which are receipts for loans. Daitiki, which is a certain kind of a gifting uh, writ. Matana, which is another kind of gifting writ. Prusbul, in a prusbul, the famous document which you hand over collection of your loans to the Beitin, so Shemitah doesn't cancel them. Igrot Shum, this is if the Beitin estimates the value of somebody's property for purposes of a lien, etc. And they, they write that down. Igrot Mazon, if a widow comes to uh, the Beitin and says that you know the estate isn't paying her her regular food stipend. Shitre Chalitza, if a woman got Chalitza, a levered marriage was canceled by Chalitza, she has to have a star that indicates she's a free woman. Umeunim, meunim is if a, we'll deal with this a lot in Masachet Yivamot very soon, if a girl under the age of 12, uh, under the age, shall we say, um, needs to be married off for whatever reason or another because socially um, not being married is very unprotected, is very vulnerable, etc., and her father is not alive. Then her mother or brothers can marry her off, but it's Kiddushin Drabanan, and when she reaches age, if she's not interested in staying with her husband, she can walk out. That's called Miun. But she needs a star to indicate that she's a Mima'enet. Shitre Viruri. Now, on the page, I wrote it as Zabla. Zabla is a dean in the third paragraph of Sanhedrin that if the two litigants are going against each other, each one can choose a dayan, and the two dayanim together choose a third dayan. Zebor elachad, zebor elachad, vein borin. So that the star that indicates who they've chosen can be written. Zerot beitin, if the beitin makes an enactment. Vigrot shavashut, vigrot shavashut are just letters that you can write. In other words, so it's non-professional. So anything that's a particular need that cannot wait till after cholamoid, or something that is really non-professional can be written. The only item we're going to deal with in the Gemara is the issue of Kiddushin. Amar Shmuel, mutar la resi Shmuel says, you're allowed to get betrothed on Cholamoid, even though you're not allowed to get married, as we saw in the first parak. Shemikad menuachar, because what's the concern? The concern is that if you don't betroth this girl today, somebody else will come along. That's why you're allowed even to get betrothed on Tisha perhaps he has support from our Mishnah. Right, the first item on our list is Kiddushin. My love, Shitre Kiddushin Mamish, is it not the way I presented in the Mishnah? Shtar Kiddushin. You know, it says, Harat, and we also have to be So, no, Shitre Psikta. No, you know what it is? What we kind of refer to as Tnoin. There's an agreement between the two sides of what each parent, each set of parents is going to provide for their newlywed children. Rav Gidol Amarav, Rav Gidol Amarav, famous statement of Rav, Kama Atanoten Levincha, Kach Vekach, how much are you going to give to your son to marry my daughter? This much. And how much are you giving your daughter to come marry my son? And then they immediately have Kiddushin. Then the Kenyan, the agreement that they just made, becomes valid by virtue of the Kiddushin. These are things for which you don't necessarily need a star, but the amounts are written down in a star. That can be written on Cholomoy. Good. Perhaps that is supported by the Mishnah in the first parak that says you're not allowed to get married or do yibum because it's a simcha. You know, Arvin simcha besimcha. But what's not listed there? Hala ares shari. So what's left out is erusin, is betrothal. Betrothal is mutter. So for the fact that betrothal is not mentioned in the Mishnah, and we all assume betrothal would be less of an issue on cholamoy because it's not a as big of a simcha. That uh, it's mutar. So no, not necessarily. Lomi bayakamar. Perhaps it's the opposite. Lomi bayakamar. 
I, it's certainly the case in this way of thinking that I cannot be betrothed because there's no mitzvah that I'm accomplishing. Aval mitzvah. But even getting married, which is a mitzvah, usher, aha. But so, in other words, I still don't have proof for Shmuel's position that you're allowed to get betrothed on cholamoid. Perhaps the Mishnah that says you can't get married is saying you can't even get married. And certainly, you can't get betrothed. So we have a Brita taught in Shmuel's Beit Midrash, which says you can get betrothed but not married. The Ain Osin Suudat Erusin. You don't make the big party of the Erusin of betrothal. Therefore, you can infer correctly that there is no prohibition of Erusin itself on Cholamoid, but the big party has to wait till afterwards. Now, remember Shmuel's argument that you can get betrothed on Cholamoid is a precaution against someone else beating you to the punch and, and betrothing that beautiful girl. The Amr of Yudom Shmuel, since when did Shmuel hold the position that anybody could beat you to her? Shmuel himself was the one who said that every day there's a voice from heaven, uh, perhaps when a child is born, when it says, this girl's going to marry that guy. This field's going to end up with that person. In other words, all of these things are destiny, and so therefore nobody could beat you to the punch. If it's a girl you're not supposed to get, you won't get her, and if it's a girl you're supposed to get her, nobody will beat you to her. What does it mean? It means that really it's somebody you should marry, but maybe somebody else will really take a fancy to her and he'll with tremendous power, and maybe he'll then be able to beat you. And we have a story like this. Rava heard a guy davening very, very hard and saying, He's davening planita, I really want to marry this girl. Rava said, You shouldn't daven like that. If she's the right girl for you, she won't leave you. If not, then you're rejecting God. God made a set you up, and you're rejecting and asking for something different. So Bata Hachi Shmai Dika Amar and evidently the guy didn't listen and he uh, ended up marrying her. And later on he heard, Oh Iu Limut Mikama, oh I Tamut Mikame. Her die or me die. And the guy could not stand his marriage. Amarla of Minalach Lotibai Allah the Melta, didn't I tell you not to pray for that? Right? Hachi Amarabi Shumar Biruvan Ben Istrubli Minatora Minavima Matuvi Mea Shemi Shali Ish. And he taught him, he said, we have a statement of the of Ruvain ben Yitzhi who we do not hear much about. He says, I can show you each part of the Tanakh that a, the, the woman that you marry is destined from God. How do I see it in the Torah? That after uh, the Avraham's servant comes and finds Rivka for Yitzchak and tells them the whole story, they said, oh, this is what God has decreed. What can we do? This is a Shimshon's parents who were complaining that he was going to marry this girl, this plishti girl, didn't know that this was God's plan because actually he was trying to get Shimshon to get mixed up with the plishti and start a fight with them. And of course, there's very few ways better than that than to marry into the family. Of course, this is very strange because it means that even somebody marrying out, this is a decree from God. Very difficult. How do we know it from the Ktuvim and Mishlei, so wealth and property, that is an inheritance that you get from your ancestors. But, um, but the, it is from God that you get a, an intelligent wife. Good. So once we mentioned already Rav's quotes from this Reuven Ben Itzterubli, we have another one. 
A person is never suspected of something unless he really did it. Now, that's a little difficult, and that means that there really is never a need for a procedure because the minute that there is a, a person is accused of something, we're going to claim he did it. So we have to soften this quite a bit. If he didn't really do the whole thing that he's accused of, he did part of it. If he didn't really do part of it, at least he was thinking about doing it. If he wasn't thinking about doing it, he saw other people doing it, he thought and he liked it, he thought it was a good idea. In other words, it's not somebody who's totally divorced from this. It's somebody who, in one sense, either because of his own actions or his own uh, obsessions or his own attitude, something, really feels a kinship to that particular act, whatever it may be. Meitiv Rabbi Yaakov. So Rabbi Yaakov challenged this by saying, This is in Malachim Bet, when the text is summarizing why the northern kingdom was destroyed and they ended up getting exiled. They claimed things about God that weren't true at all. So you see that they suspected God about something that wasn't true. Right, so the one easy, easy answer you could say is uh, that's God, but hatam lachisu avud. The answer is there they were, weren't doing it because they really suspected it; they were doing it just to anger God. The pasuk tell him says that they were jealous of Moshe. And what's the what's the limud? That everyone, everyone in the, in the camp did the process of kinui, which is an, a, a formal warning in the, in the situation of a suspected adulteress against her being with the man that he suspects she's having the affair with. And everyone in the camp did that with, uh, uh, with his wife relative to Moshe. And nobody in his right mind thinks that Moshe is guilty of that. right? So why would we think that, aha, so he must be that some of that was actually there. Moshe did part of it. Moshe did a thought about it. Not possible. Right? So how do we answer? The answer is they all were very angry at Moshe, or they hated Moshe, because they were jealous of him, and therefore, and, and therefore he was always the bearer of bad tidings of the decrees, and therefore that's why they did this kinui, not because they really believed Moshe had anything to do in any inappropriate way, but that was their way of getting back at it. said, I always want to be included among those people who are suspected of something which is untrue. Because the, uh, the, the, the pain and affliction involved in having to deal with people's suspicions is a kapara. Now, Papa said, you know what? I've been suspected of things that weren't at all true about me. So, so the answer, the way we reconcile all of this is, if it is a rumor that doesn't persist, so then that's good. And you, for a little while you suffer and it goes away and everybody understands it wasn't true. But if it's a rumor that persists, call it a lopasik, then it must be that there's something true about it. But call it a lopasik ad kama. So how long does it have to go for it to be recognized as an, a rumor that doesn't stop? So Abaya's nanny told him, Dume demata yoma upalga. Right? People in the city, they talk about something for a day and a half. After that, they move on to new business. And immediately, the lopasik baini baini. But that's, of course, if in, during that day and a half, there was no break. But if in the middle of that day and a half, they started talking about something else, and it was, it was forgotten, and then picked it up again, then it also means nothing. You know, it's, it's only if there's a really persistent rumor that for more than a day and a half, people are just talking about nonstop, and that's it, then you got to suspect that there's something real there. And even if there's a break, 
But that break has to be an organic break, meaning people just stop talking about it because they lost interest or they didn't feel it was so strong. If, on the other hand, they stopped talking about it because the guy himself was walking past and they all stopped, or because his friend who was the magistrate walked past and they stopped, that doesn't count as stopping. And, by the way, this is all true if the rumor doesn't pop up again. If it pops up again, lo, then there may be real substantial. By the way, none of this is true if you have real embittered enemies. If you have enemies, then it's the enemies who have started this rumor, and then there's no reason to suspect it, which means, bottom line, the only time that we really suspect somebody based on a rumor is that it's a rumor that persists, it's a rumor that, uh, that doesn't uh, sort of dissipate uh, of, of its own, even if it later comes back. Uh, and if it's later come back within that day and a half, and it's a fellow who uh, there's no reason to ascribe to him that people are trying to get him angry or people have a particular anger at him or or hatred for him, and it's also not somebody who has known enemies in the town who might be starting that rumor just to hurt him, which means by the way that the original statement had most of its sting taken out of it, but there is still a depth to that with that notion that if there are rumors circling around of a certain particular person about a particular kind of behavior. Ultimately, some part of it's got to be true. Maybe he didn't do all of it, but he did some of it. Maybe he didn't do, did do all of it, but he's certainly in the power of doing it. And therefore, there is that tremendous bit of wisdom in understanding the relationship between rumors and reality. Everybody should have a wonderful day. And tomorrow, we will, pick, we will continue from this point.